I wanted to briefly uh, mention and kind of recall to last week, I, would, I just want to say how thankful that I am for our pastor <clears throat> who is so committed to ensuring that we, we lead spiritually in, in the right way, uh, with the right attitude and the right heart, uh, with the right safeguards in place and how serious that we take it. Um, we talked a lot last week about our children and how we, we, we want to take care of them and watch over them and, um, and, and protect them from, uh, from potentially abusive situations. As the children's pastor, that is so incredibly close to my heart. Um, not just because it's my job, but God has given me a deep, deep burning desire to see kids come to God, to know him, to love him, to serve him with their whole lives. Uh, I believe it was D.L. Moody who, uh, he, he came back from soul winning one time and he said that I had two and a half people saved. And somebody said, oh, well, you had two adults and, and a child saved. He said, no, I had two children and one adult because the children have the rest of their lives to live for God. And I have a deep burning to see these kids come to Christ now so they have the rest of their lives. They don't, they don't, they don't have to face the, 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 the sin, well, I mean, they're going to face sin because we live in a sinful world, but they don't have to, to face a life that is ruined by sin to be saved out of. I got saved as a four-year-old kid, and sometimes I thought, like, oh, well, I don't have as good of a testimony. But man, God's grace is the testimony. The glorious grace that he gave us whenever he died on the cross for us, it doesn't matter what we face. And I am just so incredibly thankful for a church and a pastor um, who's committed to that. Uh, who is committed to, to protecting children. Um, and by his grace, God forbid, God forbid that any child that comes to Keystone Church ever would ever be hindered by me or anybody else here on their way to God, on their way to know Christ. I'm also very thankful for our commitment to expo expositional preaching. Um, we're in a passage today that... Um, Reading through it could seem a little bit shallow, maybe, or easy, um, but it, whenever you look at it in context, whenever you look at it um, and study it expositionally in, 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 in the book of the Bible that it's in and how Jesus is teaching, then there, there really is so much more weight to Scripture. You ever hear a passage of Scripture, and it's one of those that you hear a thousand times, and it's like... You, you can quote it. You don't know where it is, but you know word for word, and it's just, it's just there, and there's an easy application to it, and you just move on. That could have potentially been today, um, but it's not. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, we're in like our 400th week in Mark, and we are just over halfway there. So stick around. Uh, some of us might outlive the book of Mark. Um, just wait till we do John. Wow. We're going to be in John for a long time. Um, no, in Mark chapter 13, uh, we're going to look at this today. Get them to Jesus. Get them to Jesus. Really kind of piggybacking off last week. And um, we're going to be talking about children again today. But we're not just going to talk about children. The children's pastor just doesn't always talk about children, okay? I'm also the assistant pastor. I have other things that I do too. Uh, we're going to talk about adults, too, and how, and how children are, are a great example to us. But let's read in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Uh, the Bible says, Then they brought little children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. 
uh, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. For us to understand this passage as as deeply as we possibly can, we really need to understand uh, the culture that they were facing in this time um, that, that might have prompted the disciples to respond this way. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but we're also going to look at a little bit of our culture. But before we do, let's, uh, let's ask God's uh, help this morning. Because I, I, I need his help, I'll be honest. Um, I, uh, I say uh and um a lot. <laughs> and my wife says it can be distracting. So I'm going to ask God to help me with that this morning. Um, but just ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to open our hearts and minds and to, and to tell us, speak to us what he wants us to hear. Um, I tell the kids every time I teach them that if you were the only person in the whole world ever live, God still would have given you the Bible because he has something to say to you. And he wrote it down and preserved it all throughout history for you. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us from his word exactly what he wants us to hear. God, Lord, I need you this morning. I don't want my, my words and my, anything to be distracting from what you have already said. God, you wrote it down and you preserved it because it's what you want us to hear. So God, speak to us from your word this morning. Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom on how to apply these things to our lives. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first of all, we see the cultural status of children. I personally do not understand or relate to a culture where, where children are mistreated, are um, thought less of, or anything like that. Just my personal experience, I, I can't even imagine. The, the only thing that I, I can maybe relate to a little bit is seeing the way that some children were treated uh, whenever I lived in Tanzania, East Africa, third world country. And there were about 100,000 um, street kids who lived in the city. There was a city of a million people, and about 100,000 of them um, were orphans who just lived on the street, had no home, no families, and no one to care for them. Um, very mistreated. They did what they could to get by, which meant stole, lied, whatever they had to do to live day to day. And, and, and that's the only thing that I can even personally relate to in, in, in a mistreatment of a child. And I know, and we're going to get into here in a second, about things in our country. So let's just, let's open up our minds this morning and, 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 and see if we can empathize a little bit. And maybe some of you can even sympathize this morning. Um, but I, I want us to look at what we're facing. There have been instances all throughout history, um, and even today, where to varying ends, children have been devalued. All throughout history, children have been devalued. In our culture today, there's abortion. Most recent data shows that approximately 890,000 babies are aborted annually in the United States. It's heartbreaking. 
and around 1990, just before I was born, um, there were about a million and a half per year. So while it's gotten better, if over 800, almost 900,000 doesn't astonish you and break your heart, beg the Holy Spirit to do something in you this morning. I believe it is in North Carolina, the abortion rate is approximately 14 per 1,000 women. These statistics alone, I could go no further, but these show a major, major devaluing of human life. Even before birth. And now even at birth. It's heartbreaking. But not only does our culture face abortion issues, but child abuse in 2019 there were 656,243 reported cases of child abuse. In the same year, just over 1,800 children died as a result of those reported cases of abuse. And remember, those are just reported cases. In 2019, five children died every day because somebody mistreated them. Here in North Carolina, there were 5,601 reported cases of abuse. And thankfully, our state was on the low end of children who died as a result of that. Only five. But that's five too many. Our culture faces abortion, faces child abuse, but also our culture uh, and, and uh, not just our culture, around the world, there is a major problem in trafficking right now. Children account for 27% of all human trafficking in the world. Whether it be sex trafficking or lab- labor trafficking. And an estimated 1.2 million children are affected by trafficking at any given time. 1.2 children. 1.2 million. Abortion. Abuse. Trafficking. But what about poverty? In 2018, one in six children in the U.S. lived in poverty. That's nearly 11.9 million Then there's children who have who've lost their families. Children who have been orphaned. Approximately 443,000 children are currently in the foster care system in the United States. That's not to mention the millions upon millions upon millions of children around the world. 123,000 of those are currently available for adoption. Worldwide, there's an estimated 18 million orphaned children. And in North Carolina, shout out to Melissa, she helped me to find this number and get a little bit more exact and up to date. But there are about 11,000 children in our foster care system here in North Carolina. And that could be somebody who has just been separated from their family, from their mom and dad, or lost a parent, awaiting 
adoption or they've been abused and removed from a home and awaiting for, for a, a, a new home and different things like that. And you know, it's, to, to, to be fair, there are many of these situations that can be attributed to just unfortunate circumstances. Just, just a heartbreaking situation that nobody could have foreseen or nobody could have really done anything about. But make no mistake, every single one of these situations results in a devaluing of human life and all are a direct result of a dying and sin-cursed world. You ever look around at our culture today and you're like, man, where's the hope? We have it so bad. It's, it's so terrible. I wish we could go back to this time when things weren't as bad. I wish we could go back and, and be one of the disciples or be one of the people who followed Jesus around and got to see the miracles and see him heal people. And I, I wish we could go back to that. But let us not think, oh, woe is me. Because we don't have it as worse as it's ever been. In historical culture, many Old Testament people groups were known for child sacrifice to their pagan gods. In the Greek Empire, children were subjected to selection, which meant only those who were fit in the eyes of their fathers or the state would be kept and raised. Others were just abandoned. For any reason... What about the Roman Empire? The two empires that lasted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. In ancient Rome, children were not even considered human until they could walk or talk. By the way, the Roman Empire took place during the life of Christ. Jesus himself, according to Romans, would not have been considered human until he could walk or talk. Let's not think too, too, too poorly, shall I say, or too highly of our bad circumstance. It's been calculated that 28% of children died before reaching the age of one in, Roman, in ancient Rome. Now, that, a lot of that is attributed to uh, poor medicine, uh, technology, and practices, and things like that. But a, a good amount of it is attributed to what the law was in Rome. Fathers had ultimate control over their children. After birth, the child would be laid at the father's feet on the ground, and if the father raised the child in his arms, it was the sign that he accepted him as his own. If he did not, the child would be an outcast, taken as a slave or left on the highway to live or die. And by highway, in ancient Rome, most houses would have a trash pile outside the house. And they would take the baby and put it in the trash pile. And if some family came along that wanted to take the child and raise it, they could do that. Otherwise, the child lived or died. Which, as you can imagine, there were very few children who would live in those circumstances. Many of these tradition laws, as I said, are a result of poor medical practices and technology. But it does not change the fact that fathers had the ultimate right to say... This child lives or dies. Completely backed up by law. In Matthew 2, 
After Jesus' birth, King Herod enacted a law to kill all male babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts, two years old and under. Jesus himself was born into a culture that would accept this law and perform this law, infanticide. And then through the Middle Ages, infanticide uh, was used as a means of birth control and was not uncommon. You know what? We've heard it said that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Bible does promise us that evil men and seducers will, will, will get worse and worse and worse as time goes on. But I'll tell you what. The curse that sin has on this world was just as bad the moment Adam and Eve ate the fruit as it is today. It's not gotten any better or worse as far as sin is concerned. Sin is sin. And in a sin-cursed world, there has been a cultural war against children, against the ones who can't take care of themselves, against the ones who are the least of these, against the ones who can't fend for themselves, against the ones who can't provide for themselves. There's been a cultural war. In ancient times, it was because they were oftentimes more of a liability and until they proved their worth as a human being that they could contribute to society and contribute to their family and help provide for their family, if they could not do those things, they were not they weren't ha- worth keeping alive. And I can't even imagine that. A cultural war. But I'm thankful that the Bible promises us in Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Do you know that in the midst of all of that sin-cursed culture, Jesus called out a people And he charged fathers and mothers to raise up their children. To go in and to wipe out those cultures who would sacrifice their children to pagan gods. And he says that they're a blessing, a heritage, a gift from he himself, the creator of the universe. But a sinful world calls them a hindrance, an obstacle, or even just an asset to be used. But then in our culture today, some go the opposite direction. Y'all better curl up your toes. I might step on them now. And they place their children on this throne that they've built in their life. And they worship them as an idol. And some of you, and Lord help me, probably when I have kids, I'll be right there with you. We got to fight against making our children our idol. you got to fight against the fact that your children are your everything. They're up there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, please make your children a priority. Please. As the children's pastor, I beg you. (laughs) Help us out in that discipleship factor. But they can't be your everything. They can't be. If they are, your life is going to collapse because you have taken God off that throne of your life. And you've set up an idol and you're worshiping something that isn't worth being worshiping. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. Have you met my kid? (laughs) 
I didn't mean to look over here at Brooke. I'm sorry. That was unintentional. We have to fight against this cultural war. The status that our culture puts on children. But then we can look. Thankfully, we have scripture that shows us Jesus' value of children. The children in this passage of scripture are believed to have been um, at the oldest toddlers, but most likely were all infants. So let's think about that. Remember the culture, the Roman culture, which is what they were living in, said that children could, were, were not human until they could walk or talk. And these were infants being brought by their older siblings, their parents, aunt and uncle, whoever it was. They were being brought to Jesus. They were being brought to the rabbi, as was a tradition and practice of the Jews. They would bring their, their infants to the rabbi to be blessed. Which makes perfect sense because people referred to Jesus as a rabbi, as teacher. So they were bringing their children to Jesus for him to lay his hands upon them and bless them. But it, it's amazing to me, especially thinking back to what we learned, uh, talked about last week in Mark chapter 9. But we see the disciples push back and try to keep these families from bringing their children to Jesus. In verse 1, it says, multitudes gathered to him again. So it, it says again. This happened consistently over and over and over again. Multitudes would gather around Jesus. And, you know, maybe the disciples were just trying to, you know, protect Jesus' time, his energy. Maybe he, would, he seemed tired to them, whatever it was. But no matter the reason, it seems like the disciples had been influenced, whether consciously or unconsciously, by the culture around them that said children, particularly infants, were of less importance than adult members of society. Have you ever caught yourself responding to something? Maybe in your mind, or maybe even out loud, and later on you're like, man, where did that come from? And you realize that you have been, whether consciously or unconsciously, influenced by some type of culture around you, whether it be at work or at school or wherever it might be. And, and you respond in a certain way and you're like, whoa, like, where did that come from? That's definitely not Christ-like. That doesn't line up with what, with what I believe. Like, where did, wh what is that? And I, I, I think the disciples found themselves there. They were living in this culture that just in general had devalued life at that stage in life. And they were responding in kind. And Jesus had a very, very strong response to his disciples' actions in verse 14. It says, he was greatly displeased. Which I... I really don't think that's the best translation. Um, other translations say that he was indignant or he was angry because Jesus just wasn't just displeased. He wasn't just disappointed in his disciples. That word indignant is probably the best way to describe Jesus' emotions. The original word means much grieved. And it was to the point that it angered him. Our modern definition of the word indignant is feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. 
I think that's an incredible way to describe the way Jesus was feeling. There were these children who were being brought to him for him to bless them. And they were treated unfairly. They were treated as less than. They were treated as, you're not as important. So stay away. He doesn't have time for that right now. And Jesus rebuked his disciples. And he was indignant. And it's the only time in the New Testament that that word, that's translated indignant or much or uh, uh, um, much greatly displeased in, in the New King James here, it's the only time in the whole New Testament that that's used. So many times people point to when Jesus flipped the money changers' tables in the temple as like an example of Jesus' righteous anger, which, yeah, it absolutely is. But I think an even better example of Jesus' righteous anger is his response to the mistreatment of children. It's a very clear and strong rebuke. And instead he says, verse 14, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. So what do we learn from Jesus' response here? First of all, it's that Jesus loves children deeply. And we learn this all throughout his ministry. This isn't the only time that he has, he has brought children. In Mark chapter 9, we just saw, he brought children and talked about them and taught about them. And, and, and it's very clear that he loves children deeply. But also, Kent Hughes says this, Jesus affirms and respects the personhood and spirituality of children. And in this he's saying that children have a high value as people with personalities. You remember the first time you noticed your kid's personality? I have a, a niece. She is how old is Lila? Two? We have a five-year-old niece too and she's got a lot of personality. But the two-year-old has, uh, has these looks that are identical to the looks that my older sister had when she was growing up. And I'm like, Rachel, you ever want to know what your attitude was like? Look at Lila. And she was like, no. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> what you're going to deal with with Lila is exactly what I dealt with my entire childhood um, until you were old enough to appreciate me and value my life. Um, you know what? I need to rewind to my introduction. I can, I do experience um, a devaluing of female life. No, Rachel, if you watch this, I'm sorry. I love you. We're like best friends now. So, um, Children have a high value as people with personalities. Me and, me and Julia, we, uh, we really like kids. And we say regularly, no offense to any of you in here, but we enjoy conversations with kids sometimes more than we enjoy conversations with adults. Um, and it's not because we're like shallow people, but it's because kids got some deep stuff to say and they'll say it, man. I'll tell you, they ain't going to hide nothing. They'll, they'll just talk. They'll talk about you and everything else. And, uh, it's good. We love it. But children can and do have the opportunity to come to know and believe the gospel. I said I was saved as, as a four-year-old child. 
and I could take you back to the exact spot. It's a parking lot now, but our house used to be there, uh, right beside the church I, I grew up in. I can take you to the exact spot, and then one floor above that would have been the second room bedroom that looked out over the back of our house. And I remember laying there as a four-year-old scared to death that robbers would come in our house and kill us, kill our whole family. What, where did I get that? I have no idea. Um, but I knew if that happened, my family would die and go to heaven, and I would not. And I was terrified. And I knew that I needed God to save me. I knew I needed the grace of Jesus in my life. And I didn't understand all about what that meant and about the power that came with that and about the Holy Spirit and this and that and whatever. I didn't understand all of that. I just knew I needed God. I knew I needed to be saved. I knew that my sin kept me from it. So I needed to be saved from my sin. I understood that as a four-year-old kid. I'm sure many of you have a similar testimony or a similar story of a a family member or maybe one of your children who have experienced that exact same thing. I know that's true because 43% of Christians get saved before the age of 13. And as time goes on, the statistics about the odds of someone getting saved decrease dramatically. Dramatically. I believe it's somewhere around 68% of Christians get saved before the age of 18. And then by the time you get up into like over 30, over 40, it drops down into single digit percentages. Young people come to know Jesus. And we'll talk about why here in just a moment. So what should our response be? Love children. With deep, unconditional love. Deep, the same agape love that took Jesus to the cross, that's the same love that Jesus had for these children. That's the same love that we need to have for these children. Deep, agape, sacrificial I'll do anything. I'll set aside everything of me for them. Not only do we need to love children, we need to evangelize children with a gospel-centered home and a gospel-centered ministry. But mom, dad, it starts at home. There are some situations, and I was challenged by this recently, there are some situations where the church is the only hope for, for some kids being discipled. Because maybe it's they, they don't live in a Christian home and the only thing mom and dad are doing is bringing them and dropping them off or something like that. But you all aren't in that boat. You all are here. So I'm going to tell you, we have to evangelize our children with a gospel-centered home and ministry. But not only that, we have to disciple our children with a Bible-saturated and centered home and ministry. But it must start at home. And if, if you teach and evangelize and disciple and value 
and value the human life, the image bearer of God that God has gifted you and blessed you with. Talk about changing culture. If homes would get that, and I understand I'm preaching to the choir a little bit right now, because you all have done that. But if we can make that contagious, and we can live outside of our home what we're teaching in our home to our children, it'll change the world. It'll change that culture. And we'll always have to fight against the sin curse that, 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 that we have around us until, uh, until Jesus comes back one day or we go to heaven. Uh, but but we, can, we can fight against it. We can change it. We can make it better. We have to get them to Jesus. But then Jesus has a lesson for us. For the adults in the room. For the adults standing by and listening and uh, maybe wondering why the disciples were pushing them away. He had a very clear lesson for the disciples themselves. But for the adults that were around and listening and watching this happen and experiencing everything that was going on. Verse 15, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Let's read that again. Assuredly, leave no doubt, make no mistake about it, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means. That's pretty clear, right? Like, there's no way you're going to enter the kingdom of God if you do not receive it as one of these little children. We must come to him as a child, period. So what does that mean? I'm sure you've heard, maybe your whole life, if you've been in church any amount of time, that you have to have faith like a child. And it's true. But, this is where I'm thankful for, for expositional preaching um, and expositional study of God's Word because it, it means so much more than just easily trusting and simple. While it is those things, if we stop there, we miss some of the beautiful depth that God has for us right here. Okay? So let, let, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Jesus tells us that we must come to Him as a child. So child does not infer innocence. You're like, amen. My child is far from innocent. Kent Hughes says, neither does like a child suggest the wondrous subjective states we often find in children such as trustfulness, receptivity, simplicity, and wonder. Those are beautiful things that we see in children. But oftentimes in this patch we say faith of a child, it's, it's simple. They trust so easily. It's just... It's wonderful, and it's like, but if we stop there, we're only, we're not even getting all the way to where we need to be to, to see what this really means and how we can apply this to our lives. So it's not those subjective states, because guess what? You ever met a child who's not trusting? You ever met a child who's not receptive? You ever met a child who things are pretty complicated with them? On the base level, yeah, those things are 
in general in common with children, but they can be subjective too because one child to another, children don't always trust the same way. They have different life circumstances. So let's take a step beyond it. Hughes continues, what Jesus has in mind here is an objective state that every child who has ever lived, regardless of race, culture, or background, has experienced. Helpless dependence. Helpless dependence. A child is totally dependent on a caregiver. Especially the children that Jesus was speaking to here. A child is totally dependent on a caregiver to supply their necessities. Those children who were cast out of Roman homes and left in the trash pile to be picked up or made slaves or whatever, many of them died because they had no caregiver to give them just the necessities in life, to give them the food and the nourishment that they needed to protect them from the elements, to clothe them and keep them warm. If a child doesn't have those things, they have no hope. They can't help themselves. Babies, they know what's, what's wrong. And they try to communicate it. And I'm sure if they knew what they could do about it, they would. But they don't. So all they do is cry until, until the need is met. It's helpless dependence on a caregiver. And this helpless dependence seen in children is how we must come to Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the Bible says, for, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's that glorious grace that we sang about this morning. There's a, if you've listened to that Elevation album, it's, from 2014, it's the only King Forever album. I've listened to it many times, as you can tell. Um, right after that song, there's a reprise of it. And uh, Stephen Furtick shares a, a quote in there uh, about this song by an old Puritan preacher. Um, his name was Thomas Brooks, and he says, That grace and glory differ very little. That one is the seed, and the other is the flower. Grace is glory militant. And glory is grace triumphant. And if it wasn't for God's militant glory who came down and said, I'm going to defeat sin, and I'm going to defeat death, and rise in glory when once his grace was triumphant, if it wasn't for that, then we would have no hope. Because we are helplessly dependent on a Savior who is not me and who is not you. There's no good thing that you can do, no amount of money that you can give, no, no amount of times that you can come, into, come to this building, no volume that you can sing, no instrument that you can play, nothing that you can do, nothing that you can contribute is going to get you grace. For otherwise, it's not grace. So we have to come having nothing, having no even ability to contribute it. We couldn't have died for our sins and rose back to life again. 
and lived in victory over them. We couldn't. We're helplessly dependent on someone else. And that's what Jesus did for us. And the only way we can come, there's one word. Humility. It's hard, isn't it? Humility's hard. With nothing to offer, we must humbly accept the grace of God at salvation and every day thereafter for the rest of our lives. So, what's our response to all this and our application? We've talked about a lot. And we're going to kind of go back to some of the cultural things that we face and how we should how we should respond to them. Verse 16, Jesus responded to the situation. He didn't just leave it at a rebuke to his disciples and to the other people there. But no, it says he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. And I'm sure he did that to every single child. It was not uncommon for the families to come and the rabbi to lay his hands on them and say a blessing for them to go on, but no. Jesus took it a step farther because that's what he does. Law ends here. But when Jesus died on that cross and when Jesus came, law gave way to liberty like the song says, and Jesus takes it a step farther. So he took them up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and blessed them, every single one of them. So what's our response? Humility. There were thousands, I'm sure, people around Jesus for healing, for blessing, for this and that and whatever. Just there for the sideshow. But Jesus said, no, the most important is the least of these. The ones who are helplessly dependent I want to bless them. I'm going to spend my time taking each one of them up in my arms and laying my hands on them and blessing them. So our response is humility. God forbid that we ever think just because you got a couple of numbers in your age that you are any more important or any any more significant than any child in the world. And especially here in our church. There there is no respecter of persons with Jesus. He don't care how mature you are in this life. He loves you the same. And God forbid that we ever think otherwise. God forbid that a culture that we live in that says, you know, once you, once you grow and mature, you, you become worth more and you can contribute more and this and that and whatever. But God forbid that we would ever be influenced by this, by this thought that says, it's more important for me to sit in these padded, sh- uh, what are those called? Chairs. Um, Jeez. Oh, wow. Um, God forbid that we sit in these padded chairs 
and hear a baby cry and say, I wish that baby would be quiet so I can focus on the preaching. Who do we think we are? And this isn't coming from the children's pastor. Please, I, like, I am the children's pastor, but I'm not saying this just because I'm the children's pastor. God forbid that we ever think that kids having fun during the service and learning and, and, and walls being broken down because of fun and activities and things like that. God forbid that we ever think too highly of ourselves that we think this is it and someday they'll get here. God forbid. Because you know what Jesus would do if he was here right now? He would go back to the nursery and he would take every single one of those babies up in his arms and lay his hands on them and bless them. Then he'd go to the preschool class and he would take every single one of them up in his arms and he would lay his hands on them and he would bless them. And then he would go to the elementary class and he would take every single one of them up in his arms and he was laying his hands on them and bless them. And then you know what he would do? He would come in here and he would take every single one of you up in his arms and he would lay his hands on you and bless you. Because with him, the ground's level. With him, there's no respecter of persons. With him, we all got to come to him the same. Humility. But next, we got to serve and support children in our church. I am so, I say this all the time. And my kids volunteers, if y'all are tired of hearing this, good. I've probably said it enough, but I'm going to say it again. I cannot describe how incredibly thankful I am for the number of volunteers that we have. There's probably 80-some, 90 people here today. And I have a total of 30-plus volunteers who serve our children every month. That's a third of our church. How incredible is that? And that's not because I'm the children's pastor, I'll tell you. But it's because we got a bunch of people who have Jesus' heart for children. But can I challenge you on something? If you're not one of those, and this is not a recruiting pitch, bear with me, it's not. But can I challenge you? Why aren't you? And I'm not saying every, every person is cut out for the nursery, or every person is cut out for the preschool, or every person is cut out to, uh, to teach in the elementary, what, whatever it, age group it might be, I'm not saying every person is cut out to, to help lead our teenagers with Pastor Jeff, but... Why aren't you serving and supporting the next generation in our church? If we're going to have Jesus' heart, then in some way, shape, or form, 100% of our church should have some hand and some type of support or service in the next generation in our church. That's Jesus' heart. What are those areas? I'm going to tell you, this is a little bit of a recruiting pitch, but it'll be okay. Uh, greeting, being that first impression on families when they come. In our nursery. You know, sometimes I wish I could serve in a nursery, and I can. I do from time to time. But I challenge our nursery volunteers with this. Every week, take the opportunity to do just what Jesus did. To take one of those children in your arms and to pray over them to pray for their futures, to pray that God would protect them, to pray that God's blessing would be on them and their family. And that is probably the single most important thing that we can do in that child's life. 
They can't sit and learn a lesson. They can't do a coloring page. They can't do any of that. But man, we can pray over them. How cool of a job is that, right? If you don't have a place to serve, like, that's pretty awesome. You might have to change a diaper too, but that's okay. Um, then we have our preschool, and those kids are just fun, right? They're awesome. We have our elementary. Then we have special events. My recruiting pitch is over. Not only do we need to serve and support children in our church, but we need to serve and support children in the culture, in our culture today, in, in, in the culture around us. We looked at some abortion numbers. Maybe, maybe you need to find a crisis pregnancy center near you where you can serve mothers in need who are wondering what to do next. And you can step in and be that, that voice of the gospel truth, uh, that Jesus in someone's life, that, that will just simply help them to make the right choice. Then we talked about abuse. Every single one of us can be vigilant in the way that we live and lead, just like we talked about last week, so that we are aware of signs of abuse in children that we come in contact with. I read something, something that somebody shared on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, I don't remember. Um, it might not even be a true story. probably isn't a true story, knowing the source. But anyways, um, there was a dad who was leaving like the dollar store or Walmart or something. Um, and he had his toddler daughter over his shoulder. And she was just kicking and screaming. Any, anybody have flashbacks <laughs> to that when you're your child? Uh, she was just kicking and screaming. And uh, this person came by and asked the, the daughter if she was okay. Which she responded, no! So you can imagine. And the father said, well, she's upset I didn't let her buy 12 Kermit the Frogs or something like that. I forget what the thing was. Um, but it, it, it's not that the person was butting in and assuming the worst of the parent. That's not what was happening. The person was concerned about the child. A random stranger that just wanted to make sure this child was okay. And while it might be normal for a four-year-old who doesn't get what they want to act that way, it, it, it doesn't mean that they're okay. It doesn't mean that nothing bad happened. So the person went out of their way to, to check in on the child. And, and it was the father who was telling the story. And the father said, I want to thank you for being concerned about my child enough to ask and make sure that she was okay because if she wasn't if I was trying to take her if I was doing something that I should not have been doing as a person taking that that little girl somewhere then I would want somebody that was my little girl with with another person taking her I would want somebody to stop and make sure that she was okay all of us can be aware and you know if it, in the future we're going to be implementing training for all of our kids volunteers and, and uh, student volunteers on how to see signs of abuse in kids' lives and how to respond to them. This is very important. When there are hundreds of thousands of kids being abused in our country, the church has to be aware and ready to fight back against it. We have to be ready. 
So live vigilantly. And being aware of those things. Then trafficking. This kind of goes along with abuse. We need to be proactive. Number one, in protecting your own children. What they're doing on social media. Who they're with. Who they're communicating with. And all those things. But then the children around us that we see in public. If, I mean, just, just be aware. Be vigilant. Be proactive. But then... One in six children in our country live in poverty. Maybe we need to get involved in local programs to help underprivileged children. We have a connection with the Boys and Girls Club of Durham and Orange Counties. Um, by the way, those of you who weren't here back then, we were this close to renting that building. Um, there was n- like nine churches on the list who wanted to rent it, and we were number two. And if number one would have fallen through... I actually think it was an elevation campus, actually. So thanks, Stephen Furtick. Appreciate you. Um, Thanks for coming through on that and us not getting stuck there. Because we would have been there for two years, and we wouldn't be here. Look at God's glorious grace, huh? Um, But that aside, sorry, I went down a little rabbit hole there. Um, We have connections there. If you want to get involved in helping the underprivileged children... These children that are in need in Durham and Orange Counties, we can get you in touch with the right person there. But also, we have a relationship now uh, with the school that's literally just across the park right here. It's the Club Boulevard Charter Magnet Humanity School. It's like the longest elementary school name in the world. Um, But weekly, they have a food bank where they provide food for families who are in need. Um, And they have given us information about how uh, we can get involved, um, and it, it would be for about an hour or two a week just helping these families be fed and helping facilitate this, uh, partnering with the school there. And then we have connections, and, and we know that there are opportunities to serve in local schools, whether it be in your kid's school, in a PTA or a PTO, or whatever, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstances might be. But then there's orphan children. We have in our church a, an awesome lady named Melissa Love. And she, uh, do you, you manage all the volunteers, is that right? Sort of. Sort of, yes. For simplicity's sake, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> um, okay. It, she works with the Guardian Ad Litem program. Um, and I want to read this exactly. She told me exactly what they do. They train community people to be child advocates for abused and neglected children um, who are in the foster care system, correct? Um, you know, a lot of times we, we hear challenges to get involved in, in foster care and things like that. And to me, that, that scares me to death. Um, bringing a child who is not your own from a bad background into your own home, there, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, with the health of your family and your own children and things like that. But if you have a heart to get involved and you're just not sure you're ready to take that step, take this step. Volunteer with this Guardian Ad Litem program um, and be an advocate for these children who are abused and neglected, who are displaced from their home, who, who need somebody there who's just willing to, to love them. 
and to be for them. What better way to be Jesus in somebody's life than to be for them? Because listen, Jesus is for you. Jesus loves you. He wants to take you up in his arms and lay his hands on you and bless you just like he did every single one of them children on that mountainside that day or in that house or wherever he was. What better way than to be an advocate for one of these children and just say, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. And I love you. You don't have to, 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 to change. You don't have to be different to earn anything from me. I, I love you and I am here to advocate for you. To be here on your behalf. What an awesome opportunity. But then maybe some of you are, are called to take it a step farther. And to bring some of these foster children into your home. And maybe some of you are, are being called to take it a step farther. And to seek adoption from either the foster care system or maybe one of the uh, uh, over 11 million, no, I'm sorry, it was 18 million orphans around the world. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life, but that's why I wanted us to pray and say, God, tell me exactly what you want me to do as a result of what you have said today. No matter what, all of these things no matter how we get involved, no matter how we support. Our goal is to do one thing. Get them to Jesus. Too many times we're the disciples. Too many times we're just a person in the crowd. Sometimes we try to be Jesus. And try to do things on our own to bless. We can't. But we sure can get them to where they can be. Get them to Jesus. They are hopelessly and helplessly dependent. You are helplessly dependent. So let's get to Jesus where there's no respecter of persons, where his love is consistent and it's the same, and we know this, we know without a doubt. We know what we're going to get. Jesus' unconditional love in our lives. You know what those kids are going to get? If we get them to Jesus, we know. We know what's in store for them. All the blessings that Jesus has to offer in this world. Let's get them to Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.